Welcome to Wrestling with Theology. My name is Doug Minton. I am your host. I am the pastor at Redeemer Evangelical Lutheran Church in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, as well as a lifelong wrestling fan. Wrestling with Theology wrestles with the history of pro wrestling as well as the theology of the Lutheran Church. This week's wrestling profile is the Rock and Roll Express. The Rock and Roll Express is one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson had a great chemistry together in and out of the ring. They are one of the rarities in tag team wrestling. These two stuck together like glue throughout most of their careers. Even when WCW decided to break them up, the fan reaction was so terrible that the bookers had to put them back together again. Ricky Morton was trained by his father, veteran referee Paul and Ken Lucas in 78. He began his career as a tag team partner for Lucas or Eddie Gilbert in Memphis. Robert Gibson was trained by his brother Ricky and teamed with him through the Southern Independence beginning in 77. Jerry Lawler brought the two together as the Rock and Roll Express in 83. They wrestled primarily in Memphis, feuding against the Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry. When they moved over to Jim Crockett Promotions, they continued their feud with the Midnight Express, this time including Stan Lane, and escalated into a feud with the Four Horsemen. The feud with the Horsemen had some great matches, including... Morton's world title shot against Ric Flair in a steel cage at Great American Bash in 86. At Clash of the Champions 15, Morton shocked the world as he turned on Gibson and joined the York Foundation. Robert had been injured in a match in late 90. He made his triumphant return at the Clash so that he and Ricky could regain the world tag team titles. Ricky turned on him and joined the York Foundation, which disbanded in 92 and Morton went back to Memphis to wrestle. After some single success in Memphis, the Rock and Roll Express reunited in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, where they feuded with two different variations of the Heavenly Bodies, Stan Lane and Tom Pritchard, and Tom Richard and Jimmy Del Rey. After a run in the NWA and the Independent Circuit, they were brought into the WWF during Vince's NWA angle, an attempt either to bring back the NWA's former standing or Vince purchasing the decimated promotion. They wrestled for a while in TNA's Sports Entertainment Extreme Stable. After leaving TNA, they wrestled in the independent circuit around the Southeast. Morton was instrumental in the reestablishment of NWA Smoky Mountain based in Kingsport, Tennessee, which would become Innovate Wrestling in 2018. Both currently wrestle in Appalachian Mountain Wrestling based in Hazard, Kentucky, where they are currently the tag team champions. There have been many titles that these two have held together. Uh, the AWA Southern Tag Team titles twice. The CWA Tag Team, the CWA World Tag Team titles. The NWA World Tag Team titles six times. Four times in Jim Crockett promotions, once in NWA Southwest, and once after the WCW pulled out. They were Mid-South Tag Team champions three times. NWA Wildside Tag Team champions. Ten times they held the Smoky Mountain Tag Team titles. They were USWA World Tag Team Champions twice, and many, many other tag team titles throughout the independent circuit. They were PWI's Tag Team of the Year in 86, and are ranked number four all time by PWI. But their title success was not just with the two of them together. Uh, Ricky Morton held the AWA Supreme Tag Team titles with his cousin Todd. He has been Appalachian Mountain Wrestling Champion. He was twice a member of the WCW Six-Man Tag Team Champions. 
He was the Tennessee heavyweight champion, the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion, the CWA Heavyweight Champion. He won the Smoky Mountain Cup in 2013, and he was the USWA Unified World Heavyweight Champion once. Overall, Ricky Morton is ranked number 95 all time. Robert Gibson is no slouch either. He was the NWA Mid-American Heavyweight Champion. He and Don Fargo were Mid-American Tag Team Champions. He was Pro Wrestling Express Tag Team Champion with Vince Kaplick. He was the Smoky Mountain Beat the Champ Television Champion. He and his brother Ricky were NWA Southeastern Tag Team Champions. And he was the Southeastern U.S. Junior Heavyweight Champion twice. And Robert is ranked number 99 all-time by PWI. Not bad for a couple of guys who were primarily tag team wrestlers, to both be ranked in the top 100 of all time. A reminder of Green Friday Wrestling on Facebook. Uh, go search Green Friday Wrestling, like, follow. We're in just beginning 1986, where Ricky and Robert were the tag team of the year. You can see some of their matches. You can see many other things that happened in 1986 over the course of the next few months. Also, a reminder from... The last episode of Farther Along, the chapel devotions based on Luther's small catechism that begin January 14th. Those will be available weekdays following along Luther's small catechism. I'll be back in a moment as we look at the state of exaltation in the second article of the Apostles' Creed. of exaltation begins in a rather odd spot. We start with the descent into hell. We think of the descent and going down, but that is actually part of the exaltation. So we have, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. These were all things that Jesus did because he is God. So let's look at where these things come from the scriptures. What happened when Jesus descended into hell? 
Psalm 16.10 For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Ephesians 4.9 In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Many people find this line of the creed the most disturbing. Why did Jesus descend into hell? Two major theories have come forward. First, many evangelicals and charismatics believe that Jesus descended into hell to finish the punishment that had begun on the cross. This theory calls Jesus a liar because his punishment apparently wasn't finished when he said, it is finished. He still had more to endure because Satan wasn't finished with him. You can see how the theory then goes further and further from the biblical truth. The second theory, which has been the prominent teaching throughout church history, was that Jesus descended into hell to proclaim his victory over death, hell, and the devil. Some believe that Jesus went into hell to deliver all the Old Testament saints and bring them into heaven. That hell was a holding ground for everyone who had died until Christ. I have a hard time with that idea since Jesus speaks of heaven as Abraham's bosom in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. What is important about the third day? Hosea 6.2 After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Acts 10.40-41 God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. The third day is an important part of Jesus' death and resurrection. According to Jewish tradition, the deceased soul clung to the lifeless body for three days after death. This is part of the reason behind Martha's outcry that it had been four days since Lazarus died. The practical aspect of the third day resurrection goes all the way back to creation. Jesus died on Friday. The third day would be Sunday, the first day of the week. The day when God first said, let there be light. Jesus calls himself the light of the world. How better to poetically see the resurrection than that the true light would come out of the grave before dawn on the first day of the week. How did Jesus rise again from the dead? Isaiah 63, 1. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Basra, he who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength? It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. 2 Timothy 2.8 Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Jesus' resurrection isn't the first resurrection in the Bible. Obviously, it is the most important. Jesus even raised people from the dead. Now the question is, how? God the Father raised Jesus from the dead through the quickening of the Holy Spirit. We also talk about Jesus raising himself from the dead. This comes from his statement that he lays down his life so that he may take it back up again. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was to mark the receipt on his payment for your sins paid in full. Because of his resurrection, you are now welcome in heaven. Why did Jesus ascend into heaven? Psalm 68, 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Colossians 2, 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. On the Mount of Olives, Jesus physically ascended into heaven. He did this for one purpose, to prepare a place for us. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. He ascended in order to make the final preparations for the heavenly banquet that awaits all believers on the last day. 
His ascension is the exclamation point of his triumph over the rulers and authorities, the supernatural forces. His resurrection wasn't enough. He not only rose from the dead, but he returned to the place where he had come, God's right hand. What does the right hand of God mean? Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Mark 16, 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is not a geographical location. It doesn't have coordinates that we can put into our GPS devices. Throughout antiquity, the right hand was always the position of power. We still have this when we refer to someone as our right-hand man. They are the ones we trust the most. Jesus is, was, and always will be God's right-hand man. In that position, he intercedes for us before the Father. We pray in Jesus' name, asking him to answer our questions, cares, and concerns. He brings those to the Father, relaying them as petitions from his beloved children. He will do this until the day comes for him to return to judge the living and the dead. How do we know from thence he will come? Isaiah 66:15. For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his anger and fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. Acts 1:11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. One of the greatest moments in the disciples' faith journey came immediately following Jesus' ascension into heaven. Two angels appeared behind them as they were looking up after the cloud. They remind them of Jesus' promises to return before he died. He is leaving, but he will return. Jesus will come with fire and whirlwind. He will come in the clouds. As St. Paul writes, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Jesus' second advent will not be like his first. There will be no denying that he has come. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Everyone will see him. Everyone will know the truth of his word. Why is Jesus our judge? Wisdom of Solomon 6.6 6. For mercy will soon pardon the meanest, but mighty men shall be mightily tormented. Acts 17.31 He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The greatest issue many people have with Christianity is judgment. By nature, we don't want to be held accountable for anything by anyone. The thing that frightens the old Adam the most is the knowledge of God's judgment. God the Father has fixed a day for his righteous judgment. The date for this is not known to anyone except him alone. He has appointed Jesus to be the judge on the last day through his resurrection. Jesus' just judgment will be based upon our faith in him. Our living and active faith will produce good works that are done in Jesus' name. This judgment also flips things upside down, as is shown in the verse from the Wisdom of Solomon. This verse from the Apocrypha can also be seen from Jesus' Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus' judgment will be final. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter into heaven. If anyone's name was not found written in the book, he will be thrown into the lake of fire. There will be no second chance to change the verdict.
the final line of the second article, he will come back to judge the living and the dead. So the question is, will anyone still be alive on the last day? Daniel 12, 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Although we don't know when the last day will be, we know that there will be people living when Jesus returns. St. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, The dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Not everyone will taste death. Some will still be alive when Jesus returns. While not all will die, everyone will be changed. Everyone will receive a glorified body like Jesus' resurrected body. In that body, everyone will receive the reward. In heaven and in hell, everyone will have a glorified body. Those in hell will be tormented perfectly. Those in heaven will have complete and perfect bliss. Next month, we look at the third article of the Creed and the work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your time and listening to this podcast. If you'd like to hear more, go back to our archives to hear the previous episodes of Wrestling with Theology. Also hear Sunday morning sermons from Redeemer. If you're in the Twin Cities area on Sunday morning, you are welcome to join us at Redeemer Evangelical Lutheran Church at 4201 Regent Avenue North in Robbinsdale, just off of the corner of 42nd Avenue and Highway 100. Just look for Jesus blessing the travelers along the road. Our services are at 9 a.m. We have Bible study at 10.30 following the service with coffee hour in between. We encourage you, anytime you are in the area, to join us for worship and to wrestle with theology with